Spags, we are back one week from the Super Bowl and a true bye week this weekend, unless you are, you know, champing at the bit to watch uh, Pro Bowl flag football. Pro Bowl flag football sounds great. Tyler Huntley, what a treat. But no, the Super Bowl's coming up next week. So today we're going to dig our heels in on 2023 predictions. All the things that we think are going to happen during free agency, the NFL draft, upcoming next fantasy football season. We're going to touch about it or touch on it rather. We're also going to catch up on some of the Super Bowl news out there. Which Chiefs receivers will actually be playing in the Super Bowl? An important news item as well. We'll hit on that right after this very short intro. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Splash Play. And let's touch on the Super Bowl stuff up top, because if there's prediction things you're coming here for, if you click that thumbnail, curious to hear what these two men are thinking about for this upcoming year, you can skip ahead on the timestamps down below. But Pete, let's talk about the Super Bowl stuff real fast up top, because you mentioned before the show uh, some clarity on the Chiefs receivers, also some gross news from Bengals players out there we won't touch on. Uh, but let's talk about McCole Hardman, uh, Kadarius Tony, and Juju Smith-Schuster. What's the update? Yeah, so, you know, Andy Reid gave a pretty, you know, dire outlook for Michael Hardman yesterday. His quote was, I doubt that he'll make the Super Bowl. He was not going to be denied the other day last Sunday. That's a tribute to the kid. He pushes himself like no other. He's a tough, tough kid. But, I mean, literally saying he's doubtful to play. And if they're making that conclusion, what, nine days out, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take their word for it. He did offer more positive news on Juju Smith-Schuster. He said he's in a good place. The main thing is letting that thing calm down. We'll just see where it goes. And then Kadarius Tony, his quotes were a little bit more ambiguous. He kind of lumped him in with Juju and said things were looking good for both of those guys. But, Man, at this point, too, with Kadarius Tony, it's like even if you say he's good to go for the game, can you count on him for more than like one or two plays? I mean, not even doing a bit. Like this guy can't last more than a few plays a game. Yeah, I heard you guys talking about that you and Gretch on ship chasing this week doing a two man uh, weave over there talking about how you were like, Kadarius Tony might not ever play again. And I was like, is that an actual thing? Because it's his hamstring stuff. But apparently, there are people really concerned about his hamstring again and I guess some other leg issues that he has as a result of that. Um, Kadarius Tony feels to me like one of the ultimate missed opportunities on the year. And it seems like that could be the case again for the Super Bowl coming up. Well, and it just, you know, I, I think I said it on ship chasing, like the roller coaster that we've gone on with Kadarius Tony for being like, oh man, this is dark. Like this is never going to get better to holy shit. He's on the Chiefs. Like he's going to be a league winner. I even had people when I remember the trade broke live when we were on Sirius XM. And I was on with Dwayne and we were getting pretty excited about Kadarius Tony and the Chiefs offense. And I had like a few angry people in my mentions like this guy sucks. He can never stay healthy. He's a head case. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But like, what if he stays healthy and gets it together? But apparently those angry people in my mentions were right, which you can't really say all that often. And I thought it was interesting, too, what you and Gretch were talking about on that, not to just uh, repeat the cliff notes from ship chasing, but I thought it was a good show with uh, Gretch and Pete going back and forth. But Sky Moore being one of the last guys left standing there, obviously great for your brand if he does have an outlier day in the Super Bowl. But it does beg the question, like, do they have enough weapons to stay in this game? Because I, as much as like anybody else who has a microphone in front of them, like I believe in Patrick Mahomes as much as any quarterback I've seen in my time. And that includes the great Tom Brady, of course, retired over the course of this week. And what I've seen over 20 years of that man being a part of my adult life, but Mahomes, though, with no weapons out there, like it kind of feels like one of those Patriots situations where you have Rashad Caldwell and nothing running out there for Brady. And even the greats sometimes have a tough time. So is that something you're going to be accounting for when playing showdown or playing uh, the big game drafts on underdog? Yeah, I'm like of two minds about it because I think it's awesome for showdown, right? Because it opens up all these potential guys. Like you can literally play Marcus Kemp in showdown for the Super Bowl and it might be like a viable way to get unique. And there aren't that many teams like that. But because Mahomes is such an elevator, you can say like these guys so deep on the depth chart could get an opportunity, these backup tight ends, et cetera. So I think that's very interesting for showdown. And when you're trying to win a million dollars against 470,000 fucking opponents, uh, Having that access deep into the player pool is helpful. But for like the game itself, I'm with you. I keep wondering, like, what is the tipping point for Mahomes? And I, I used in the newsletter today the Aaron Paul meme, like you can't keep getting away with this, where it does feel like that. It's like, okay, you could get away with it against the Jags. Okay, by the skin of your chinny chin chin against the Bengals. But can you get away with it against this Eagles team with this skeleton crew of wide receivers that even when healthy isn't that good? I was looking it up. I mean, Juju hasn't cleared 50 receiving yards since a December 18th game against the Texans. And it's like, man, this, this team is in rough shape. And I do wonder when the magic for Mahomes runs out against a really good team.
And none of the receivers cracking over a thousand receiving yards on the year besides Kelsey too. So it uh, does speak to Mahomes' ability to spread that ball around. Definitely does offer some concern there. And you mentioned the showdown, Pete. So I guess I have an announcement about showdown, but for you, uh, are you declaring officially your entry into one of the tournaments? Cause I did see you talk about it with brick. You don't want to enter the big lotto one at four to 70,000 people, but this is our last big spend of the NFL season, Pete. So I think you should max the big one out. Well, here's the thing. I am going to play. I am going to fire. And I do think I'm going to like fire relatively hard for my standards. You know, I think I'm going to put probably like 2,500 to 3,000 in play. But I'm thinking that maxing one of the smaller tournaments might be a better way. Or I'm also deciding what if I just put like four or five teams in the Wildcat and played more like a small ball game. But my strategy like this year, I played the lotto contest all year. So I think that's what I'm most comfortable building for so I'll, I'll figure it out I, I i do think i would maybe like to go after uh one that i can fully max that isn't as steep of a prize pool but well can- so what i'm gonna do and in response to that and i actually think we are going to be similar in terms of bankroll i'm also allotting 2500 to 3k between underdog and DraftKings, but i am fully declaring myself pete a 150 maxer for the Super Bowl showdown. I'm entering the big tourney. I'm going all in. Going to try to capitalize on all the knowledge that you and I both have accumulated for some nice wins across showdown all year. So I'm excited. I never max out the 150 max showdowns because I think they're honestly kind of a waste of money because usually you can kind of get the same exposure as with 50 lineups and have a shot to win something. But I do feel like for the Super Bowl, that many entries, go big or go home, Pete. So I'm going to go big and I'm going to leave. I'm going to lose $2,300 on uh, putting too much juju at captain, basically. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's it's honestly the wild. Like for anyone who's been playing like the showdown contests, uh, or maybe for the people who haven't been playing them regularly, like traditionally, even the big ones, would you say spags don't get much bigger than like one hundred and fifty thousand entries um, on like a Monday night featured contest, and this is literally over three times the size of that four hundred seventy thousand. So you are really going to have to make some tough decisions about how many duplicates you're willing to take on versus how gross of a lineup are you willing to do? Because I think you're really going to have to push the boundaries of leaving salary on the table, really weird, thin combinations to get truly unique. And then at what point are you just fully punting? So how, how are you thinking about that from, from that perspective? So for me, it's going to be, and I haven't run the crunches yet, so I can't say like what I normally try to do is run an on optimizer or run an, rather an optimizer run with no randomness without anything weird going on there just to see what the, I expect the field to do and then figure out based off of that what the pivots are going to be. But I presume off of a 150 max, I'm probably playing a lot of five ones for both teams because I presume they're going to be pretty evenly distributed. Um, I would say to you, like if you notice two guys who have 100% exposure in a um, an unrandomness, uncapped crunch, then you could kind of separate those guys out, put them in different lineups. That's the kind of stuff I like to do. So I think that's what I'm going to try to do over 150 and also somehow try to balance like the optimal rates and all of that. But I do think that's what I've found the most successful with showdowns. And I actually haven't 150 max a single one all year, um, even the one that I'd won earlier in the year. So I think from my perspective, like I think there's still upside to do it. It's just a matter of like you got to play lineups that basically aren't going to be well projected. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I I did do like an initial run on the run the Sims, and it did seem like you're getting a ton of Eagles onslaughts. Like the top five most frequented lineups are Eagles 5-1. And so, yeah, that'll be be interesting. And the Sims don't necessarily always reflect exactly what just like a true optimizer is spitting out. Um, You know, when I know when ETR always posts their – rates on how they think the field's going to utilize specific instructions the five ones are still by far the least utilized like on the polls so um always nice to know that there's an edge there but it's generally taking the other side of the popular five one is the most unique way to build so in this case maybe it is chiefs five ones that uh are going to shape up to be pretty unique Kyle here saying disappointed that Pete isn't wearing the thumbnail outfit for the predictions. Have no fear. Even though Pete's not wearing the outfit, the predictions will be just as good of a man dressed like he's a soothsayer of a fortune teller come up in a moment here. And to close out this segment here, Justin saying, has Mahomes kind of gotten away with it all year? His wide receivers have been below average all year. That's why IMO, he was always the clear cut MVP. I agree he's been getting away with it all year. At a certain point, though, you know, the rubber does meet the road in terms of talent and what's out there. I think, you know, there's probably some team building lessons from all this. All the people who felt like, oh, Mahomes is out, Tyreek Hill is going to regress. Then he doesn't regress, just the talent around him kind of does. And I think that's sort of what, you know, when you reach the last game of the year, the best team that they've played all year, at least on paper, it does feel like at a certain point you have to expect diminishing returns on that, Pete. So I think that's where the logic comes from. And I think, too, like, 
I don't know. People are kind of playing Mahomes like he's going to not have enough ammunition to get there. So there's probably upside in assuming that he continues to do it, even though it feels kind of unfair. The Chiefs uh, keep luck boxing every year, basically, with the end of game shit, like not having receivers this year. It just feels like the Chiefs get lucky, and I think that's sort of contributing to the public sentiment. Yeah, the other thing, though, is they've been able to kind of cycle through and have, you know, guys pop up through the air. Like, Miko Hardman had a really good stretch in the middle of the season where he was performing well. Juju had some stretches, and it was like the team clearly knows, right, that they have a void at town. It's why they went out and traded for Kadarius Tony. And so I think that's the one interesting thing is they've been able to kind of patch it together, but with these injuries really mounting up and it really culminated with Justin Watson being uh sick last game because Justin Watson has been like a lone bright spot for them too. Like he does some things right. Um, and he will be back in this game, but I do think there is a tipping point at some point. Like we all have to acknowledge if there was a bunch of Marcus Kemp's out there, that this team can't win the Super Bowl with just Marcus Kemp. Like at some point you could say, maybe it's college level receivers. It's USFL level receivers, but Mahomes needs some baseline level of talent to help him win. In Philadelphia on the year, one of the best teams in pass defense, a negative 16% passing DVOA. So it's really could be the spot the rubber meets the road, but certainly I think uh, we'll give me a little more value trying to believe in Mahomes for one more ride, even if it does feel like it's getting to be a little bit far-fetched. The prediction time, Pete. So I lovingly crafted some PowerPoints before the show. I mentioned to Pete before the show as well. I wish I went a little bit sillier, but we're going straight away. We're doing full normal fantasy analyst mode here, Pete. And let's start it off with an easy one. Which team will surprisingly blow up their roster? We've heard some discontent from playoff teams getting eliminated. We've also obviously seen teams not perform well in the regular season. So let's start this off with uh, maybe an easy one. Who's going to blow up their roster with that big cartoonish detonator I have in the picture? I feel like the easy one, and I'm curious if you think this is the low-hanging fruit, but I do think it would be the Buccaneers, right? Because they built their team to win a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. They accomplished that goal. They're one of the oldest teams in the league. They're just packed with veteran talent. Now Brady's gone. You have these guys like Fournette, like Evans, who are getting up there. I wouldn't be surprised to see them go with a full rebuilding year as opposed to like begging Derek Carr to come play for them and keep them afloat. See, I think they're going to go the Derek Carr kind of route and think that they still can compete because they have most of the shell of this team around. And I'm with you. Like, I think you're right. This team actually isn't that good. Defensively, they were pretty okay. But offensively, like, again, Tom Brady, I predicted all season long that he was going to be frustrated and, and want to leave this year because he was going to get hit time and time again. I think that's what we saw. But I think the Bucks do roll it back with, like, a Carr or Rodgers, and then maybe they make some fringe upgrades. Like, if you bring in Rodgers – maybe get rid of Lenny and bring in Aaron Jones and just kind of try to run that back. But I think that's where the Bucks mindset is. Because if you're going to start over, you probably fire Bulls too, and they didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, another one, or sorry, you, I, I need to hear yours. Yeah, so mine is actually going to be, so Justin's contributing the Bengals. I think that's a different one here that I'm going to offer them up for. I think the Bills are going to blow up their roster. So they can get rid of Devin Singletary wow. this year in free agency. I think that what they're going to try to do is limit Stefan Diggs. So this is part of why I have Diggs in the thumbnail. I, I didn't know what Pete and I were going to pick. We didn't talk about it in advance. But I think Diggs is going to come down a little bit because they're going to try to find their equivalent of T. Higgins to Diggs and Jamar Chase and try to do that because – I thought it was really pointed that the GM was talking about that in the press conference. I think they're going to try to chase that guy. And then we end up with a team that ends up being different and maybe not as good, but like their window is closing. So they kind of have to do something here and a lot of contract bloat. So maybe get rid of a Von Miller or somebody. I don't really know what they could do in terms of the contract machinations, but I think they're now in desperation times because this was their year to win it all. And now that's gone. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I guess when I see the cartoon detonator, I feel like it almost has to involve a quarterback. And it's just like, we know that the Bills are building around Josh Allen. Like, that's not going to change. So that would be my only quibble with the spirit of this question. But, I mean, you could hear their GM talking after the game and how tilted he was by that Jamar Chase question about tanking to get an elite wide receiver. So this is going to be on their mind. They know heading into next season they are going to need another elite weapon to kind of keep up. But I think that's how they're going to go. They're going to say, what can we do, whether in the draft, pulling a rabbit out of our hat as far as finding another complimentary piece alongside Stefan Diggs. I think that's what they're going to try to do. So you think for takes like this, like the Rams and the Steelers, like what are you really blowing up there? Like they don't have a lot of guys, whereas I think the Bills at least kind of have a core that felt championship ready. So I think that's where the cartoon detonator comes in for me is that the teams that are already kind of not there, I feel like you can't really blow up a whole lot, but the teams that actually are there, uh, maybe you can blow up a little bit more. Let's go to the next one, though. We got a, 
a shocked Pikachu face here. Which player will go to a shocking new team? Obviously, we have not seen trade request season kick in. I think there are some guys as well in free agency that people are assuming you're going to naturally go back to their team. Um, I have one at running back. I'm kind of intrigued to float to you, Pete. Uh, but I'll let you go first here. Which player will go to a shocking new team to create that shocked face on Pikachu? Yeah, let's... Um. So I do think when we look at which players where there's the most star power, it's clearly the free agency running back class. You can look at the quarterbacks, obviously some stuff with, with Rogers and Lamar could potentially shake out this wide receiver class is awful. It's Jacoby Myers, DJ Chark are headlining it. So I do think it would be a running back, a name that would shock us the three at the top end. And the reason these are all so fresh off my head, I, I recommend Dwayne over at fantasy life has been doing the free agency files and breaking down all of these positionally. So you can check those out on the site but the three big names at running back are tony pollard barkley and josh jacobs i think the shocking thing will be the cowboys fumbling this with tony pollard whereas uh jerry jones has already come out and said they want zeke back i don't know if they get spooked about paying pollard big time money coming off the injury in the same way they just did with gallup maybe they're a little gun shy there i will say that tony pollard shockingly lands on the Carolina Panthers to be the new Christian McCaffrey for the Panthers in the NFC South. Interesting, because I actually liked the Kellen Moore obviously ended up taking the offensive coordinator job with the Chargers, and apparently uh, his quote was, he's going to make Justin Herbert into Dak, which feels regressive and insulting somehow to both players, uh, but especially Justin Herbert. But I thought he was going to go to Carolina, and then they would draft like Anthony Richardson or somebody, and then you know if they signed Pollard, that would have been sick. I think it's interesting. The Pollard going somewhere, being a bell cow back is pretty appealing. I will go to another running back move, though, Pete. I think people will assume that Saquon Barkley is going to come back to the Giants and get paid. I have pointed out all season long that Barkley's just pure volume, adding no extra juice, not a lot of missed tackles under league average there, not a high EPA back. In fact, a negative EPA back, so he's not generating more points added. I think the Giants know that, and I think they're going to just draft a rookie or sign somebody off the scrap heap or even go with like a Matt Breida. And I think Barkley thinks he's going to get paid like McCaffrey, and I bet Barkley ends up missing that first wave of free agency and ends up signing for like seven, eight mil somewhere because that's what the running back kind of room is now. And I think that's something a guy like Barkley and people who are fans of like running backs don't realize yet, but that's what I think is going to happen. It's like Barkley's going to be musical chaired out and he's going to have nowhere that he actually wants to go. So, hey, yeah, but isn't, did you say the team, the shocking, or you're just saying which player will go to, you got to give us the new team to be shocking. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to go somewhere dumb, like a team with a lot of cap room that just has to spend the money. So let's say the Bears let go of David Montgomery and instead sign Saquon Barkley. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, Spags to land the plane for this to be shocking. You got to give a name out. Well, My God. I just think that people assume like all these guys are going to go back. Maybe Josh Jacobs, not so because he didn't get tagged or whatever, but Saquon, I think people still have this mindset of like franchise running backs and whatever. We're going to see it with B. John Robinson in the rookie class too, but I just don't think that's the way the NFL is viewing this stuff anymore. And I think people are going to be shocked when it's like, Oh yeah. Saquon signed with the dolphins for six mil on like in August because he just couldn't find a deal. Yeah. No, I do think the Bears one would be would be hilarious too, uh, for a lot of reasons. But I I could actually see that, and yes, that would still be shocking. All right, so there we go. So that's an, a, another free agency move. There, we'll talk more about free agency in the coming weeks. Here, next prediction on the board: Which team will go to? I, I also type out on this one and didn't want to redo it. Which team will go from worst-ish to first? Pete, some bad teams, some teams also that it felt like could have done that this year. The Falcons, of course, I touted a little bit too much in the offseason, and then they almost won the South, but just was by limping to the finish line, much like the Bucks did. But Pete, which team will go from worst-ish? Doesn't have to be actual worst place to a first place win, and presumably at least a playoff spot. I mean, I will try to do it by, you know, record. Like, who do I think can add the most amount of wins to their current record? And it feels tough to say right now because it looks bleak with Kyler's, you know, injury return timeline potentially spilling over into the start of the season. But the Cardinals won four games last year, and they still have a ton of good pieces. We got to see what happens with DeAndre Hopkins. But if Kyler has, you know, a, a positive recovery timeline, they got rid of Cliff Kingsbury, who coached at a Nathaniel Hackett level this year. I do think they have the position or the pieces to retool quickly on the fly. And then their division isn't that tough. Obviously, the Niners are good, but the Niners are still going to have an interesting QB battle going on. The Seahawks, the Rams, those are not formidable teams. And so I could see them getting to the back to the top of the division really quickly. And I don't want to say they could go as far as like flipping their record, but I think they can easily get to 10 wins next year. 
See, I think what they're going to do is kind of roll it up for a year and just get a higher draft pick and then hope that Kyler can come back in two years and be like ready to go because they are invested enough long term. And with Kyler's timing of that injury, like you got to assume he's not going to be full go by, you know, let's say September. And then at that point, you know, if you end up going 0 4 to start, I think it becomes like a tough needle to thread. I get where you're going through with, with that, though. And I think I'll take a similar team. I think the Houston Texans are going to win the South next year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so a lot of Jags team. I know, again, another thing you and Gretch talked about in the FFPC draft, Trevor Lawrence going in the top four rounds is batshit insane. I get it why is. Calvin Ridley coming back, like another year of coaching. But I think they're now already a little bit too overhyped. I've seen some future Super Bowl touting for them. And I think the South is going to be bad again next year. The Texans hiring D'Amico Ryan's a guy who coached that Niners defense extremely well. And the Texans defense wasn't like great, obviously, but it wasn't as bad as I think people thought it was last year. So you added a good coach. You added some high draft capital. The fact they can get a franchise QB and a franchise receiver. I think the Texans are live. Damian Pierce was as good as any rookie running back. So they kind of have enough for me to get there. Whereas like for Arizona, I think Arizona is more motivated to not win next year just so they can retool for the year after and hopefully get Kyler something. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is a ballsy one. I think it definitely makes sense with how weak the AFC South is, but I do really think they need multiple playmakers, either another elite pass catcher or a huge upgrade at QB to do that. You know, even seeing like the Jags, what they did, Trevor Lawrence taking a step in year two without a shitty coach and then just really throwing the kitchen sink as far as getting weapons for him and then seeing those pan out. Evan Ingram really coming into his own Christian Kirk, you know, mostly paying off that contract, Zay Jones being unheralded. And then you get Calvin Ridley back. Like, I do think that weapon stuff is so important that you go and look at all these playoff teams advancing deep into the playoffs and they just have weapons at all positions. And I mean, I'm sorry, but like Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins isn't going to cut it. Oh, I agree. I think they're one and done if they make the playoffs, but I think this is the year they start to build that foundation. And again, it really comes down to them drafting the right way. Should you have the faith in the Texans drafting the right way? No, but they have the draft capital to leave with like stud skill position guys and make that make sense. So I'm hoping the best for them. I do think that franchise probably deserves some some positive juju after what's gone on over the last five years, basically, with them. Uh, but I think to me, like just in terms of draft capital and the ability to get there, like the Browns can't improve that much. All these other teams in last place can't, but I think the Texans can. Um, so this one's gonna be a little bit tougher for you, Pete. But which will, or who will be the most important rookie coming up? Obviously, I know you haven't done your rookie deep dives yet. I've been doing them because I decided to do something on the channel here, but I've talked about the QBs, talked about the right running backs and wide receivers. So I have a little more of a take here if you want me to go first or if you want to take uh, one of the QBs, that could also be an easy way to do this. No, I, I will. Uh, I, I am definitely very green, as I said, on ship chasing with this rookie class. But there was one thing that's like perplexing to me, and it is the fall uh, of Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was considered like this generational prospect, you know, a year ago. And I get that he missed this season, but people were talking about him as being the best wide receiver in a room with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave there at Ohio State. And so I'm kind of curious. I'm looking at mock drafts. The Ringer has their new mock draft out by Danny Kelly. I highly recommend this mock draft. It's the most aesthetically pleasing layout that you will see for a mock draft. I just really like how they lay it out. But they have Jackson Smith and Jigba going as what? One, two, three, four, five. The sixth wide receiver off the board. And so uh, I'm sure there's some smart hand in the dirt people that can tell me why this is happening. But just going back to what he had done on the field, how people were viewing him, it seems like you're getting a really big injury discount on him and even if he comes back a little slow a la a Jamison Williams and it doesn't sound like he's not going to be ready for the start of the season like he seems like he could just be a huge value in drafts both for fantasy and for an NFL team yes I think the logic might be that there's like a lot of slot guys in the drafts so that kind of drags their value down overall like the only good outside guy is Quentin Johnston um Smith and Jigba though is like an elite slot guy and I'm with you on that take overall like I think he is going to be a really good player He's also coming off hamstring issues, but the best comp would be a couple of years ago. Jamar Chase ended up kind of rolling up that one year because he was like, I don't need to do anymore. I don't want to injure myself. He ends up going to the NFL draft, goes top five amidst some kind of footing of him throughout. I think that's what Smith the Jigba's getting now is like, oh, he didn't get back out there, even though it was just like a hamstring pull. He could have played through it. But I think he's going to end up going top 10 because he's probably the best receiver overall. And I think, too, like, you know, relative to size and all that stuff, like Jordan Addison's small. Smith and Jigba's built like a very sturdy slot guy, and he should be at least a Monroe St. Brown coming in. It's sort of hard to project. Obviously, that's the case. But I'm with you. I think he's a really impact player, and I think uh, some of the fudding around this time of year is a little bit weird. Um, I will go a different way, though. I, I will go running back. 
Uh, I think it'll actually be Bijan Robinson, teammate Roshan Johnson. I know I'm digging a little bit deep here already, but some positive senior bowl reports on him. He's 6'1, 220, and incredibly fast. And I think these are the kind of guys that intrigue me, where like they come from a college where it's like, okay, you didn't play because the starter was better, but we don't really know for sure the starter was better. They just had that role. Bijan's going to come in with all this hype. Like he's going to go in the first round now, it looks like, based on what some people are drafting out there. So what if his backup ends up being the better player because he lands in a better situation going in the second, third round, and he's just as good because the metrics for him are just as good as Bijan. It's just a smaller sample size thing. So I think that's kind of interesting to me, and I think you know it also fits my running back thesis that they're all replaceable and it doesn't matter. Wow. Okay, What what's this guy's name? Roshan Johnson, R-O-S-C-H-O-N. Um, and he's like a big dude. If you watch some clips of him, like he just gets out in space. The issue is he had like 10 touches a game. So like, because Bijan was such a bell cow. That's so funny too. So what you're saying is you're trying to hit the, uh, what was it? The, the Memphis, Tony Pollard, Darrell Henderson, oh, yeah. uh, where the, there was all these good running backs on one team. I did pull up the draft we were looking at on ship chasing. And it was of course, one of our ship chasers, Jameson, who did take your guy, Roshan Johnson in the 15th round as part of a zero RB build. So looks like he is on the radar of some drafters. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to collect these names that when I do start hopping into drafts, I know that just taking cheap rookies is a very good strategy on the whole. So I will file Roshan away and uh, start sprinkling him into my early drafts. I think it's a very deep running back draft. Like I was actually kind of sad to see our pal Hayden Winks over at Underdog had tweeted something about like, oh, this running back class is mid. And it's like, yeah, like Bijan's an elite talent. The rest of these guys are mid. Running backs in general are kind of mid, though. Like, I think that's sort of the the thing. To, I feel gross saying the word mid this many times out loud. But I think that's sort of what running backs are. Is like, you just get a guy in there. If he lands in the right spot, a team that's going to score a lot of points, he's going to be Miles Sanders. If he lands in a bad spot, a team that's not going to score a lot of points, then he need to be outlier good, like Kenneth Walker, Damian Pierce, and those guys, Brees Hall, to kind of stand out meaningfully. Uh, but I think, yeah, there's a lot of live rookie running backs, a lot of guys who kind of look the same, and I think that's a positive when it comes to draft time. Uh, when draft, uh, draft coming up soon, Will. So draft is, Pete, this all happens very fast now. I don't know if you've noticed this with our, our content game and all that stuff, but the NFL draft free agency, this all just hits immediately, it feels like, when the season ends. It does, but but Willis isn't. Willis knows when the NFL draft is. He's asking, when are we going to draft? Oh, we're not. Are we going to draft today? Not today, but we no. can start drafting soon. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, from a little birdie uh, that we will have uh, a too early contest up on Underdog here uh, relatively soon. And Ooh. I also know FFPC does have those drafts going as well. But yeah, I think when I come back to the Super Bowl spags, we should have uh, a tournament to draft in. Okay, I'm excited for that. And we'll do some big game drafts on Tuesday too. And that's actually one thing we should point out now. Pete going to be at the Super Bowl next week, so we won't do a Friday show. We'll do one Tuesday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll do some drafts. We'll do our probably some prop bets as well. We'll kind of go through everything, ride or die picks, all that on Tuesday at 1.30. So come back for that one. Uh, which team will be, drubbed the, uh, will be drubbed? Will be dubbed the winner of free agency, Pete. And I'll give you a kind of good claim to start here. And actually, uh, I should have pulled this up in advance. But one team that's got a lot of cap room that I think is also not quite Bill's desperate levels, but I do think close to it, um, especially because this is their last year before they have to start signing uh, contract extensions. I think the Bengals are going to be the winner of free agency team where they have Hayden Hurst leaving. I can see them picking up a tight end either in the draft or free agency. Nobody's that great in free agency, but like Evan Ingram could be like a splashy move. But I think they're going to acquire a bunch of guys. Everybody's going to say this is going to be the Bengals year coming up. And then we all know how that goes. They'll be uh, the Eagles dream team kind of thing where they end up disappointing somehow. But this is their last chance to spend on that rookie deal, Pete. So I think the Bengals, they kind of have to go on. But there are some high cap team teams out there like the Bears if you want to go a different direction. Yeah, no, I I will go like a high cap team. I'll go with the Falcons who have the second most cap space right now. I could see them kind of being the Jags of this year where they go out and they add a couple more weapons. Um, I don't know if they could pull, you know, there's a little bit of, little bit of wind uh, regarding maybe Lamar Jackson to the Falcons. I actually don't think that's going to happen, but there could be some fun stuff uh, with the Falcons, them kind of beefing up and uh adding some interesting pieces so that that one i could see getting fun down there and if you're a team in the afc south you have to be looking around being like we need to go we need to push for this right now because there's there's no competition right now you can go down the quarterbacks have you done that in the nfc south and looked at what the the quarterbacks who are under contract in the nfc south it's insane it's so well, the bad. panthers i know don't have anybody besides matt corral which is kind of crazy given what they traded for darnold but I, I guess nobody's got a QB besides the Falcons with Ritter. 
Yeah, so Falcons under contract, Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota. Bucks have Kyle Trask. The Panthers have Matt Corral, the rookie, and Jacob Eason. And the Saints have Jameis Winston and Jake Luton currently under contract. That's the yeah. NFC South. Does Jameis get started next year, or do they, like, bring Dalton? I, I, I don't know what the Saints did last year, so I have no idea what they're going to do this year. Yeah, I have no clue. It's it's a very gross situation. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, I, yeah, very live for draft picks coming into that division, too. I think the Falcons run it back with Ritter and to see what they have, but I don't know. That's That might not be the funnest take. Speaking of, uh, which player will be the most tilting to fantasy football diehards? Of course, only one man could be on that thumbnail. And, Pete, I'm going to point out the next one's going to be for casuals. So this is more like the guys who are doing best ball drafts, the guys who we know are going to get steamed up in uh, March, April, May, June, July. Kyle Pitts, of course, a, a titular player like this. Uh, Gabe, Gabe Davis maybe more for casuals, but still would fit both criteria. Who's it going to be this year that gets you could see getting steamed up and then ultimately shitting the bed completely? Man, yeah, that's a that's a real interesting one. I'll have to do one that is near and dear to my heart and one that I even just said the other night on ship chasing that I'm willing to draft. But if Garrett Wilson is already going at the back end of the second round, I don't know. He seems like a guy who could even inch up higher. Um, I'm a little worried about how much meat is ends up on the bone there. And so I will... The, I think the most obvious one is to say like a B. John Robinson or the rookie that someone gets super excited about. But man, uh, I hate saying it about Garrett Wilson because I think he's so good. But man, I could see his ADP getting so, so frothy. I think so. A guy that, again, on the ship chasing episode that Pete did with Gretch, uh, talking about that FFPC board. Brees Hall going into third round, Javante Williams going into the seventh round in that draft, I thought was kind of informative. I don't think people realize, and at a certain point, it has to catch up. Brees Hall's not likely to play that early. At least if he is going to play, he's probably not going to be full go, and there's the QB questions. So I think Brees Hall, if he's going to be treated like he's a special snowflake and like he's somehow going to overcome an ACL tear and be back within one year and be that same guy, I think people need to adjust expectations a little bit there where like Brees Hall was great last year, but you tear that ACL, even if he can be back to what he was last year, you probably don't see that till like December or so. Um, and if he's going to get drafted in the third round, I think that's a colossal error. So I would say Brees Hall to me, people could talk themselves into like injury recovery stuff and maybe they'll do that more than casuals who hate injuries. I think that's where the diehards might be like, oh yeah, Brees Hall, Javante Williams, let's load up on these guys. And it's like, never mind, they'll be better in 2024. Yeah, I, I got an even better one because I, I want to redact my Garrett Wilson FUD from the record. Pretend that that didn't happen. I ride with Garrett Wilson. Ramondre Stevenson, though, who I've seen going in the second round of these drafts. And like, I have zero concerns or questions about Ramondre's talent. I think he's awesome. I think he could be a bell cow back. But to me, his role growing was more born out of necessity with the injuries. And we just know Belichick's MO. He has never wanted to really ride someone as a 20 plus touch per game guy. And whether it's a guy already on the roster, like Pierre Strong kind of growing into a bigger role, whether it's Damian Harris or another big back that they draft, like I do think he will forever be stuck in a committee and to pay a second round price for that is steep. And I guess the counter would be, hey, he can just be like the Aaron Jones, right? Where even if he has an A.J. Dillon, he's so explosive that he could pay off that tag. But the difference was, is there was more scoring potential, I think, in the Packers offense during those heydays with Aaron Rodgers than there is necessarily with Mac Jones in this run first Patriots offense. So that one gives me big sticker shock. I could see him really disappoint at that ADP. I think, too, uh, Damian Harris is a free agent, so I think he's got a good shot to not come back. But I'm with you that there's a lot of running backs in this draft who kind of just seem like Belichick guys, like small school guys who've run pretty well. Uh, Evan Hull from Northwestern is one of those guys. He's kind of like a one-cut guy that's got a little bit of hype at the Senior Bowl. Belichick loves the Senior Bowl. Um, Dwayne McBride who went to UAB. is also kind of interesting. Another rookie that they could probably get in the third, fourth round who can come in and be a plus rusher. So I think there's a lot of ways they can go that I'm with you on that one. And I think, too, you know, Pierre Strong, it's very small sample size stuff. He was actually the best running back in that Patriots room yeah. last year relative to the touches, like in terms of EPA numbers, like he was really good. And maybe you see what you have in him and just give him 10 touches a game. Sean Siegel had been pounding. Sean Siegel had that take after the draft that Pierre Strong was the best runner on the Patriots. He, of course, got in the doghouse. He had a couple bad fumbles. I think he did some classic, you know, rookie things that Belichick doesn't like. But yeah, then you look at his metrics on a small sample size. But I agree with you. I think he could have a Ramondre Stevenson-esque trajectory where you see the talent's undeniable, doesn't get the role right out of the gate. 
but continues to kind of grow. So yeah, I mean, it's not even close for me. If you're going to say, uh, let me see where uh, Pierre Strong went in this draft. Uh, you're going to tell me Ramondre Stevenson in the second round or Pierre Strong in literally the 20th round. Uh, yeah, I'm taking Pierre Strong there. And let's look at us. I think this is interesting. I just hope my boy Heineke gets a spot. He's over here building Lego Star Wars figures in the offseason. Everyone going on vacation, not him. Just adding lights to his Lego set. Weird move for Heineke, who is buying the Jordans colors of the teams that he beat during the year and kind of seemed like a, a street style guy. And apparently, Pete, he's just a nerd playing with his Star Wars. Dude. There's like a whole trend on TikTok too, where I don't know, like once every hundred videos in between like babies doing shit, I will see some guy like, now check out my Lego cave and like opens up a door and he's like every single thing wall to wall is Lego. So there's some sick Lego fucks out there, Spags. I'll tell you what. Shout out to all the Lego boys out there who did not get the coverage of the, the pony bros and all that stuff. Uh, bronies, I suppose. Which player will be the most tilting the fantasy football casual? So I think this is a little bit of a difference where you could have said Kyle Pitts last year for them as well, but I think he hurt the best ball bros more. Also, obviously, Trey Lance, I think more of a best ball hurting than a casual hurting one. But Pete, I will set the bar for you with this guy. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, I think, is going to get traded somewhere like the Patriots, let's say, who have some cap room, have a need for an alpha receiver. People are going to line up to draft that guy, and you know what's going to happen? He's going to be 32 years old, and he's going to be washed and not be able to get the cashes under separation. I thought that was going to happen this year. He was still good, so I was completely wrong about that. At a certain point, though, it's going to hit. I think it's him, Keenan Allen, one of those guys that are just old. People were like, oh, he's going to be a stud in this new offense, and then it's like, never mind. He actually was in fact just old. Yeah, the only thing I would say about that one, I I don't disagree, but I feel like for a casual fan to be super tilted, it almost necessarily has to be a first round pick. Like those are the guys they get so worked up about. It's like I spent a first round pick, how did this guy not hit? So I think for me, mine will be wherever Josh Jacobs lands and whether that's staying with the Raiders or going to a new team, people are going to look back on what he did this last season and they are going to be very excited to draft him. I do think assuming he doesn't end up on a really poor landing spot, he'll settle as like a back end of round one pick in like most normie drafts. And I think he will be destined to disappoint because so much of his production still hinges upon touchdowns and if he's not set up or he has to kind of you know jockey with a pass catching back for some pass work or his team isn't scoring a lot of points like he could just absolutely crater there so i could see the normies being like josh jacobs was the league winner in 2022 how is he disappointing right now this is unfathomable yeah, that's fair. I think too, if he goes somewhere that just has a worse offensive line, like he was really good, like for all the stuff that I all, you know, kind of talk down on a Saquon Barkley for who's just kind of there getting touches at volume. Like Jacobs actually created missed tackles, created opportunity, like EYAR, another football outsider stat, which kind of grades out how many yards you're creating over above a replacement level guy. Jacobs is a beast at that, but all it takes is just changing one part of that, like going to a new team, going to a QB that can't throw the ball deep at all. And defenses know that, that it could run bad. So I'm with you. And I think he is probably, I mean, where does he go next year? He probably is a second rounder right now. Yeah. I mean, in the, in these drafts, he's been going back end of the second round. Um, I just think with recency bias, what a great season he had. And then depending on his landing spot, I do think the range of outcomes for him is like, I can't see him slipping out of the second round, but I could see him getting into the back end of the first round. If people get stoked on the landing spot or say, say he returns to the Raiders and Rogers signs there. Like people are going to take fucking Josh Jacobs at the back end of the first round. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I think there's some risk profile there for sure, depending on the other moving parts that we can't control. Uh, name one player at each key position who will fantasy position who will outperform industry expectations. And I'll warn you, Pete, the inverse is coming up after this one, but give me a QB, a running back, a receiver, and even a tight end. And also a and also a defensive kicker. No, just just the first four. Give me one player who's gonna outperform where the industry is gonna have them this year. Okay. You wanna do you wanna do quarterbacks first? Yeah, straight off QB. We'll go. Well, you do it like yeah, back and forth. Yeah. Uh. So I mean, there's lots of interesting undervalued ones. I'll do one. Um. That we um, touched on on ship chasing. 19th round Jordan Love. You know, it sounds like Aaron Rodgers is gone. It, it, I'm not hearing anything to indicate that he's going to return. And I do feel pretty confident that the Packers are going to give Love a crack. You know, he's been on the roster forever. They spent some, you know, pretty significant draft capital on him. And it was very limited action, but he did come into that game and immediately connected with Christian Watson for a touchdown pass in a way that I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe this guy has it. So Jordan Love, a guy who's going to run a little bit that still has some decent weapons there with those rookies, you know, heading into their second year. I think Jordan Love could smash his ADP and kind of be like, I don't know, the Tua of this year. 
Yeah, three years to develop and also like a young core, assuming that Aaron Jones doesn't come back. You have A.J. Dillon, you have Christian Watson there, you have Dubs. Like, I think there's a really nice core for him to be there. So I'm with you on that one. Pete, uh, tell me if this triggers you. What if Trey Lance <laughs> comes back in? People have now downgraded him yeah. to a 12th round pick. Last year he was going in the sixth, seventh, maybe a little bit after that, depending on when you were drafting. But I think Trey Lance still has the toolkit. And I think to him having another year to sit and watch, like uh, we talk sometimes on the show about like the ramp up from guys coming from small colleges and, you know, compared to coming from Bama, stepping into the NFL, the game speed, all that stuff is pretty huge. So for Trey Lance, I think being able to actually kind of sit back and watch uh, now two different quarterbacks prepare and be good in different ways, I think is going to be a positive for him. And maybe he gets traded to Tennessee and that all kind of goes out the window. But I think it's something with Trey Lance where there's still enough upside there. It seems like the Niners are committed to him, or if not, they're going to trade him for pretty good draft capital to go somewhere else. So I think either way, Trey Lance is going to end up in a spot where somebody's going to want to see what he can do. And I think he might still be like 21. He's still young enough for sure where there's got to be upside left. Yeah, I, I like that. I just didn't want to become a caricature of myself and say Trey Lance, but that's obviously the best answer, right? <laughs> yeah, he's 22. turns 23 May 9th. But yeah, still definitely young enough to get there. And I think uh, that's a player that I will continue to flag, continue to tout, and certainly take at a discount now. How about running back? Who's a key running back who's going to outperform where people are going to take him this year? Yeah, I mean, if you want to do, I want to, I'm going to try to do shoehorn two in here. I'll do like the news topical one uh, with Samaj P. Ryan with Joe Mixon mm. being a piece of shit. And who knows what transpires, the charges being dropped, yada, yada. Um, but Samaj P. Ryan in this draft that I was looking at went in the 17th round. I mean, I, I think even if there's zero concern with Mixon, that's a really fair price for a guy who basically carved out 30, 35% of this backfield, including a lot of the high value touches and you know third down and distance and goal line scenario so i like p ryan but another one that stands out to me spags i'm looking at 11th round antonio gibson perfectly in the zero rb range i think this commander's offense with lego boy no but uh with sam howell taking over here i i got excited from what i saw from sam howell and limited action down the stretch i think this could be an exciting team they still have a lot of interesting pieces with mclaurin and dotson flashing and the one thing that the mainstream media doesn't want to tell you, despite how great the Brian Robinson story was, is that Antonio Gibson was the better runner for them last year, more explosive, more efficient. So if he can, I don't know, wrestle away like 60, 65% of that backfield, or even in a 50-50 split in best ball con um, context, I think 11th round Antonio Gibson allows for a lot of upside. See, I think you're going to have the out here where I don't think he's going to be on the roster. I think he's going to go somewhere else and actually probably be good because of the fact that he is going to go cheap and he's going to go somewhere that is probably capped out and is going to be a better team. Like if he fills in for Miles Sanders, let's say the Eagles take him, you know, sign him off the scrap heap. If the commanders were to cut him, I think you have an out for Gibson there. But I just think, I, I don't think he's going to do it on the commanders, but I'm with you that he still has some juice left and probably should have been used better. It just felt like Ron Rivera didn't like him anymore and that was probably enough to get there. Yeah, and the nice thing about players like uh, Antonio Gibson and even Samaj Piran, who Willis points out, is a UFA. I do think I don't want to go as far as saying they're landing spot agnostic, but just when you catch passes and you have some juice to you, like there's pass to you succeeding when you're not just solely relying on volume or touchdown expectation. So that's what I like about Gibson. So I will go a different direction here. This guy, I don't know where he's going to play but I think he's going to land somewhere good and really relish the opportunity after wanting to get traded. Kareem Hunt is out there. He's floating around. He's a guy that can go a variety of places. I think the musical chairs will benefit him because he's not going to get the huge payday, but he's not going to be hunting the big payday. So as a result, he could be the guy who kind of fills in for Barkley and the Giants or, you know, Jacobs and the Raiders. If those guys kind of come wanting a little bit too much money and Kareem Hunt's as good as any of these guys, he just didn't get the work last year. So I think he's really well equipped. I think he's a guy where you could take and just assume he's going to land somewhere kind of like Latavius Murray vibes, like guys that you can kind of pick up and just know that they will be somewhere doing something. And I think that's where Kareem Hunt to me, like he's young enough, Pete, where he's still got upside, even if he's also probably not a great dude. Yeah, I mean, Spags, just of all the players you could pick, you have to pick piece of shit Kareem Hunt. So congratulations, <laughs> Spags, you cold-calculated well, fantasy analyst. A lesser piece of shit than some of the other AFC North running backs relative to the week, though, so we got that going for us. Wide receiver, who's going to outperform at industry expectations? Yeah, I mean, one that just stuck out to me when I was looking at these draft boards, eighth round, Rashad Bateman, um, when I know this was a 
you know, a bummer season for the Ravens on the whole in just their passing game. But Rashad Bateman looked good when he was out there. This is still a wide receiver they took in the first round. Very productive. I think when you have a limited sample size, you do still go back to their college profile when trying to extrapolate what they could do. And to me, this is a player who is going at like the 4-5 turn last year in drafts. And nothing has really changed, you know, for him. You know, there's still a clear path to him being able to earn targets. And this is a team that knows they need players to step up in the passing game. So I think you're getting like a three-round discount on his like true value. And, you know, the whole thesis too of Mark Andrews being like the alpha number one in that offense, I feel like you can start to pull Coles in that just with how he kind of performed down the stretch while having really little target competition. So I think there's real upside for Bateman to emerge here, specifically if Lamar Jackson gets his contract stuff situated, uh, of and course. Some diversity on one take here. Sky Moore is the answer here, fellas. And then Sky Moore is garbage. So I'm glad you didn't even consider him for your option here. Yes. Um, one person's doing a bit and one person is mad online. <laughs> uh, I think from my end of it, I, I just had a guy in mind. So I'll, I'll throw out one that I think is kind of interesting. I think Nico Collins is kind of interesting. If Houston does end up better, he's the one guy you assume they'll keep with Brandon Cooks probably leaving the team. So if I'm going to tie it to my Houston Texans thesis, I will go to him as one of those guys. But I'm trying to think who else would be somebody that, it's just off the radar. So this isn't off the radar, Pete, but tell me if this fits the criteria. I think Jalen Waddell can take the leap to being an easy top 10 receiver next year. And this year he kind of like had some down games, had more than enough down games, obviously with the Dolphins QB situation being what it was. That didn't help out very much, but all it takes is Tyree coming back down to earth enough for Jalen Waddell to kind of have the outlier day. It's going to be his year three. So taking that leap as well. And on the pure play basis stuff, like he looks amazing in every advanced analytic I'm pulling up and it's kind of starting to do uh, my research to do rankings and stuff this offseason. And I think that Waddle to me is a guy where like, if you gave him the volume that Tyreek had, if you gave him the air yards that Tyreek had, he's probably Tyreek, if not a little bit better. And I think that's something that kind of gets lost and it's the Dolphins falling apart down the stretch of the year. But Waddle to me is like, probably one of the highest upside fantasy young receivers in terms of just like pure ceiling, you know, game to game. And I think that's going to probably materialize even more next year. Yeah, I mean, I love Jalen Waddle. I don't think he's going to come at too big of a discount. And you probably do need the Tyreek Hill injury for him to just be like a top five wide receiver. But like that path is certainly there if that happens. All right, let's do the other side here. I guess, well, we didn't do tight end. Do we want to have a tight end? Do we get just one liner at tight end? <laughs> Uh, one liner at tight end. Well, how about this? You kind of correlated your Nico Collins with your Texans take. I'll correlate my Trey McBride with the mm. Cardinals take where to me, it was like, this was the most talented tight end in the class. And Cliff Kingsbury just didn't want to use him for whatever reason. He was finally forced to use him at the end of the season. And he really started to get comfortable. And I think we've gotten impatient in general with like fantasy production from rookies because we've been spoiled, but tight ends do take a little while to develop and then you factor in that they had just a really dysfunctional kind of coaching uh, environment there and i do really think trey mcbride could take a leap in year two yeah mcbride and daniel bellinger both i think are going to be a little bit undervalued because michael mayer coming in is a guy that people like a lot um apparently going to be a gronk style tight end is what people are hoping for but those two guys i think can improve and mcbride was an award winner in college and just kind of disappointed um until as pete talked about he started to get a little more volume down the stretch so i think certainly with whoever's at qb next year going to be targeting the tight end a lot you would assume um who's going to fail uh industry expectations pete at each position starting with a qb yeah starting with a qb i mean i do think we just have to say Trevor Lawrence um, mm -hmm. relative to ADP. I think Trevor Lawrence can have a fine year. I think the Jags can be a playoff team and he will still disappoint at these rich fourth, fifth round ADPs. I just, I have a hard time seeing how does he separate from that next tier of say Aaron Rodgers on the Raiders, a guy like Daniel Jones, who we know is still going to rush a ton and has great coaching. Someone like Tua, who's going to come back and still have a really pass forward mindset with this offense. A guy like Kyler bouncing back from injury like I just don't see how Trevor Lawrence can pay off that tag yeah I'm with you I, I'm actually just gonna agree with you on now Trevor Lawrence I think is getting a little bit overvalued I think there's still gonna be upside game to game but I think you're you're gonna see basically just the games trading off where Ridley's gonna have a big game Kirk's gonna have a big game Zay Jones is gonna have a big game but like that wasn't the team they were all throughout the season it was like all these guys having spike weeks the same week it was them kind of trading them off and I think people kind of are missing that right now expecting Lawrence to take another leap, but I think he's just going to be a good QB who probably should go roughly where he did last year. Uh, but the weapons are going to be better. So like, it'll be fine. But I think relative to expectations, he shouldn't go with Joe Burrow. Like, I don't think that's fair. No, 
No, I mean, it's just like the caliber of weapons. Like, even if you want to say Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow are going to rush similarly, you're going to say that the Jags go even more pass-heavy. It's just you can't compare a Jamar Chase-T Higgins combo to even a Calvin Ridley-Christian Kirk. It's just a different caliber of elevator as far as pass catchers. Yeah, and their defense will probably get better too, so they just won't be in as many shootouts most likely. And I think if that division stinks, like that's also an issue for them. So a lot of ways for them to not get there. Running back who's going to fail, I'll, I'll plant the flag again. I think Saquon Barkley just is going to try to get into a situation that um, he's going to get paid like Christian McCaffrey. He passed down a $12 million extension. Um, apparently doesn't want to break the record for uh, running back money, but does feel like he wants to get close to it. I just think he's not as good as people think. People remember the Penn State days, remember the rookie years, and I think he's just kind of an average dude. So I would not take Saquon Barkley at the top of the first round or the end of the first round, Pete, like people seem like they're dying to do. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. I mean, I've already mentioned two names. We mentioned Ramondre Stevenson under a different context. We mentioned Josh Jacobs pissing off the normies. I'll do one other one hanging out there. I mean, I I just can't take Derrick Henry at one eight. Mm. Like this is some, I, you know, Davis, Pat and I and and Gretch famously took him at the back end of the second round in one of our FFPC drafts this past year. And it like, didn't even matter. We got an insane value on him, plugged our nose, took him and he didn't produce enough to even pay off that tag. Why are we drafting him around higher than that? Another year, he continues to not catch a lot of passes. They don't have a quarterback situation under control yet. He's a year older. He continues to show signs of wearing down a little bit. That just seems like an insane ADP for Derrick Henry. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Derrick Henry was probably overvalued last year and the people still like the casuals will be there again and again. So I think that's a reasonable one. Wide receivers, I think it's got to be an older guy again. Like, I just think that there's a few guys now who are starting to age out of their prime that people are going to come to a little bit much. So I'll say again, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Keenan Allen, I think two guys who are going to be on the move this offseason somewhere where you'll see the upside theoretically, maybe even get it for a couple weeks of the season. But I think over the course of a year, you're going to see them be overvalued. Uh, So that'd be my pick at receiver. But Pete, do you want to go with an old guy, a young guy? Yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, I like so many of these wide receivers that it's really hard for me to pick one off in like the first three rounds. I do think if you want to look at fourth round, Drake London, fourth round, Chris Olave, I love those guys as prospects, but I do wonder how much upside in those offenses is there for them to pay off that fourth round price tag. It just seems like you're drafting them at their near ceiling. I certainly think they could pay off that cost but I think you're having to jump through too many hoops to actually hit that. And if you go around further, I would say the Michael Pittman course correction hasn't hit enough ADP wise. I mean, this was a guy who was going in the third round and really kind of disappointed. Um, And now you throw in all the quarterback concerns there, fucking Ursay rolling out Jeff Saturday again as a coach. It just seems like the Colts could be stuck in a really gross purgatory. And I don't want to, you know, be paying fifth round for Michael Pittman when I can be taking guys like Christian Watson and Traylon Burks and Brandon Ayuk around later. So you think Pittman's one of those guys where it depends on the QB a little bit more, whereas like, you know, if they get CJ Stroud in as a rookie or somebody, I guess, who's okay in free agency, uh, maybe a Geno or something like that, like then you could start to see the upside a little bit more. I would worry too. We haven't talked about these guys at all, but like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, unless they get traded somewhere where there's real upside, like Bears fans want Evans. I don't think that's a great fit. There's a lot of ways those guys, whether they're bucks or not, that they just kind of come down because the situation has changed for them as much as anybody in the league. And I think they're guys too that I would flag as being uh, perhaps likely to fail relative to ADPs. Tight end, does anybody stand out? I feel like tight end's a hard one. Hawkinson maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I do think, to me, I do think Mark Andrews, um, and of Mm. course I have been looking at these tight end premium boards. Obviously Mark Andrews will probably be what more of a, a fourth round pick for, I would say, underdog drafts. But man, I just really think that you need to be very careful uh, drafting these early tight ends. Um, I know I'm going to get sucked into some of these guys. I still like building structurally elite tight ends, but I think you can do that, you know, in rounds five through seven, as opposed to using rounds two through four, because when you do start to look at these boards, there is a really big cliff at wide receiver after say the seventh or eighth round. And so I think there's going to be a huge opportunity cost on passing on some of those second, third, and fourth round wide receivers, second and third in particular. And I'm just not taking Mark Andrews ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown as just a random example of this board I'm looking at. 
No, I think that's a reasonable one, especially with how good Goff was this year. And the Lions, you know, probably going to run it back with maybe even less Jamal Williams next year. So that could be something uh, our guy Nick was talking about earlier, perhaps a chance for him to go to the Panthers with their uh, running backs coach moving. Uh, Justin actually raised an interesting one for Evans. If Evans went to Kansas City, I would throw that out the window. Honestly, anybody to Kansas City, we could talk ourselves into because what we talked about in the beginning of the show. But Evans to go there, like, yeah, if you're going to get two more years of good production out of him, that's probably the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, that would be, uh, dare I say, uh, greatfitchiefs.com uh, right there. So i definitely on board with that. All right, and our last prediction here, which fantasy football <laughs> content creator, not yourself, will win Best Ball Mania for Pete? There's a lot of options out there, of course. We saw it happen this year. The great Pat Corain, who is now scuba diving across the world, is my understanding. Uh, so who's going to do it this year? Well, we, we know the correlation, right? It's being in my orbit. You know, mm -hmm. Chess Liam famously did chess streams with me before he binked. Uh, Corrine I've been making content with for, for years and years. So I feel like you're fishing for me to say you. Um, let me go through some of the options. So we got Brian, I think, is legitimately in the lab trying to make a bot to draft for him. So that could be a potential. Um, you know, some of my club top shot hosts, you know, Andy and Jack, they do a ton of BBM teams, but Lord knows Jack isn't winning BBM. Um, let's see here. Who else do I do shows yeah, Davis, with? of course, so Kitchen could win one. You know, you got some other guys. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Kitchen and Davis. Davis will definitely be in the mix there. Spags. You're fishing for it, dude. You wanted it so bad this year. You were going to free roll, you know, multiple splash play w listeners. I, I think Spags wins BBM3 and uh, and finally gives me my cut, unlike these other two jabronis who won. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I was actually going to say something nice, too. So I think, you know, there's a guy we've seen doing the newsletters, a guy we've seen clocking in every week, talking best ball, doing drafts year round, a guy who I would say I've learned a lot from doing shows with and just watching sometimes on YouTube, the man who's going to win best ball mania for this year, the man who deserves it as much as anybody out there, Ben Gretsch, I think it's his time in the spot. Could you, you know, he literally he cannot draft best ball mania for teams. He <laughs> legally cannot. Oh, he can't. Oh, no. Wait, why? State. Cause he lives in the state of Washington and he I can't draft. That. Yeah, oh. the only times he gets to draft on underdog is when we do it on stream together. So fucking go back to the drawing board. But you had your cute little joke. You had your cute little joke <laughs> after I said you, and then you said a guy who can't even draft. Yeah, you know, look, I think there are mistakes made. The important thing, Pete, I was as, as uh, OJT is saying here, or AJT, uh, Spags would have won if he had Gino overlocked. That's possible. I was directionally accurate about one of your podcast partners winning a Festival <laughs> Mania 3 this year. Just was a little bit wrong, I, you know, but directionally accuracy is all we can look for. I know, and it's like, again, to put in perspective of it, I mean, even saying one of my podcast co-hosts to finish top 10 or even top 50 is unlikely to happen. So let's, um, I'm just going to set the bar a little lower. Let's say he finishes top 25. It says the Korean photo. This photo, by the way, Pete, like you're cropped out of too. I'm sure. You oh, I can tell. I know because I'm familiar with the fucking photo. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it is funny to see Pat thriving in the spotlight and the sunlight really, but you're thriving in your own ways, Pete, because you got some shows coming up today that, you know, it's all different levels of success for different people. No, I mean, trust me, it's never crossed my mind while I'm trying to sue the baby at 3 a.m. and then get up to proofread the newsletter while Pat's, you know, like scuba diving buck naked, like off the coast of Vietnam, that our lives are headed in different directions right now. That hasn't crossed my mind at all. <laughs> the baby thing really does kick you in the dick, though. I have to say, <laughs> I've lived that for a year. Oh, yeah. The witching hour. It's real. All right. So, Pete, of course, follow Pete at Peter Overzet. Follow me at Chris Spags. Follow this show at Splash Play Pod. Splash Play will continue on all offseason long. We're going to find things to talk about here. Might even do a couple extra days a week with Pete. We'll see, or at least one extra day with Pete. Potentially, I don't want to tease that out, but uh, definitely some options here that we're going to try to make things grow in the channel here in the offseason. Best ball drafts, all of that. It's going to be going down here. But, Pete, what's your plugs for today? You got SiriusXM coming up. I think you said you were doing an afternoon show as well. I thought I thought I was. I've been uh, normally I'm on top of it. I put out a couple floaters. I don't have anything scheduled right now. My my thought is I have an abbreviated week next week. Um, that's why we're going to do splash play on Tuesday. I want to get in one Super Bowl kind of showdown show. So I'm going to try to make that happen. Who knows? Maybe I'll spin that up this afternoon. Maybe over the weekend. I am going to be writing a showdown piece for Fantasy Life for the newsletter and the site. So I'm going to go in the lab this weekend and. Yeah, I'll figure out a show. Uh, we'll do some kind of showdown show before I head out to uh, to Arizona for the Super Bowl, and I'll keep you guys posted on that. 
Yeah, so make sure to follow Pete at Peter Overzet. Oh, also go to probablyapp.com. Um, I think we're supposed to have the final version of the beta for, into my hands today, so hopefully we'll be good to go for the Super Bowl. But either way, get on the wait list, probablyapp.com. Uh, it's coming along well. Going to give you the easiest access to the best odds out there, as well as the highest EV bets, too. So lots of great things there that'll be good to get in on the ground floor of and probably be free in the beginning, too. Uh, but anything else for you, Pete, before we call it quits? Uh, no, uh, Johnny's saying I couldn't imagine being in your shoes. I got to give it too bad. I'm, I'm just in case it's clear. I'm completely joking. Uh, I have zero resentment for Pat. I literally the one person that I don't think I ever have felt like a twinge of jealousy toward like just so stoked for, uh, for Pat. So yes, you do not have to worry about me. I am doing just fine. And I am very happy, uh, that I get to do all this shit for a living. So don't, don't cry tears for me. And I would say, too, we've been around so many successful DFS people where, like, trust me, if I were watching other people's money and worrying about that, it would be a thing that would certainly be eating me alive day to day. Whereas, like, Pat, you know, when you see the guys putting in the work, when Brick wins a tournament, when Pat, you know, wins this, those are the oh, guys. Oh, no, who, when Brick wins a tournament, we can we can jack that off. <laughs> well, Brick fine. was talking about on, on Lulz about, and I, I've watched a lot of Pete Conta this week because I've been really busy doing work. Uh, <laughs> when he's talking about on Lulz, where it's like he's been finishing top 20, 35 times, and it's like he can't break through to win a first place. It's like, yeah because Brick is really good at this and you still have to be lucky to do this and whatever. So uh, there's never resentment here. And I think too, you know, as you guys, when you're watching YouTube channels, you know who's doing the work and you know who's not. And I would say Pat, certainly one of those guys as much as anybody football related, uh, Brick. And of course, Ben Gretsch, you can now unfortunately not win Best Ball Mania for. Yeah, I know. But uh, he'll be glad to know your theory. Maybe he will try to move to a different state just to manifest the destiny that you have laid forth today. Just uproot the entire family. All right, yeah. kids, we're going to go. He gathers the family around the laptop to watch this clip from Chris Spaggs and then like gets them all into the van. That would be if we rebooted uh, National Lampoon's Vegas vacation, it would be like National Lampoon's best ball vacation, like moving the family to Canada to draft best ball media teams. Oh, God, that would, the level of addiction is <laughs> a little bit too heavy there, but the joy that would come along with it. Either way, we appreciate all you guys hanging out. Come back Tuesday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back then. We appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We'll see you guys then. Enjoy your weekends, and good luck. Mm-hmm.